You are listening to the On the Go with the VAO News podcast for the week ending May 13th, 2016. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is our weekly recap of the top headlines from the Daily Acquisition News. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. The Office of Management and Budget has released new guidance on implementing the Data Act. While agencies are still awaiting the release of the final standards they must use when implementing the Act, OMB's new guidance puts on paper the policy decisions it made last year to establish data definition standards, and it establishes the authoritative sources that agencies must use for Data Act reporting. By January 1, 2017, agencies must establish the ability to link the prime award identification number in their financial and management systems and maintain award IDs for new awards and any subsequent modifications or enhancements. They also must include in their quarterly reporting of appropriations account level summary data the treasury account symbols from which funds were obligated and the associated financial obligation amounts for each award. They also must limit federal award identification numbers for financial assistance awards to 30 characters and generally keep the number unchanged for the life of the award. In addition, by March 31, 2017, agencies will be required to verify the legal business name and physical address in the system for award management at the time an award is made or modified and align SAM's awardee data with their own systems. The Department of Energy has issued an acquisition letter providing guidance on managing contractor overtime costs for training. The FAR states that overtime costs incurred during training or education related to the field in which an employee is working or may reasonably be expected to work is specifically unallowable. However, DOE notes that some work-related overtime activities that include a transfer of knowledge or information but are not generally training activities as defined in the FAR may be considered allowable costs. However, although such costs should not be considered automatically unallowable, the contracting officer should still separately consider if the overtime costs are reasonable and allowable. The letter provides examples of overtime activities that include a training component which may be considered allowable costs, as well as examples of training activities for which costs are allowable, but overtime costs are not. The letter also states that in cases where disputes are possible, advance agreements are appropriate, but in no event may an advance agreement make allowable a cost otherwise specifically disallowed under the FAR or DOE regulations. Further, if a contractor believes that training on overtime would lower the overall cost to the government or is necessary to meet an urgent need, it should submit a detailed cost-benefit analysis and rationale to the contracting officer before any such costs are incurred. After reviewing the business case, the contracting officer has the discretion to consider a contractor's request for a deviation. If such a deviation is approved, the contracting officer must enter into an advance agreement that clearly identifies the overtime costs for training or education that will not be specifically unallowable under the contract. This acquisition letter is effective immediately and applies to all DOE and National Nuclear Security Administration contracts. The Army has released the request for proposals for the Army Desktop and Mobile Computing 3 $5 billion IDIQ contract for desktop and mobile computers. The service expects to make at least eight awards to replace its existing inventory with commercial off-the-shelf computers, devices, and add-ons. Five of the awards will be set aside for small businesses. Other defense components and federal agencies will be able to make purchases through the contract as well. 
In other defense news, two companies are protesting the Defense Information Systems Agency's decision to use lowest-price, technically acceptable source selection procedures for its Encore 3 IT contract. Booz Allen Hamilton and Casey have filed pre-award bid protests with GAO, arguing that the agency's approach is flawed in part because it seeks LPTA bids. In general, the firms argue that the requirements are not known nor firm, and there is a risk of unsuccessful performance. According to the firms, the performance work statement requires the contractor to define the requirements, and the RFP includes requirements that are complex and not readily available in the commercial marketplace. The firms filed their protests on April 25th, and GAO has until August 3rd to render its decision. GSA and the Department of Commerce have partnered with the City of San Francisco and nonprofit organization City Innovate Foundation to create a public-private innovation lab focused on using digital tools to solve urban problems. The lab, called SuperPublic, provides a space for innovation teams from public, private, and nonprofit organizations to collaborate on the next generations of citizen services. In addition to bringing together experts from multiple sectors, the lab is intended to help break down silos between different layers of government and drive a more responsive and efficient government. SuperPublic will be co-located in the same building as teams from the federal government's 18F and U.S. Digital Service in San Francisco. The lab will focus on three to four problems each year, with ideas assessed and selected by a steering committee comprised of members of the participating organizations. Some potential areas for collaboration will include the use of digital services in government and the use of performance-based acquisition practices. SuperPublic is scheduled to open in late spring 2016. In regulatory news, the news is that there is a lot of regulatory news this week. Uh, many new rules, most from the Department of Defense. Uh, but let's start with two proposed FAR changes. A proposed rule published this week would add a definition of recruitment fees to the FAR in relation to trafficking in persons. As required by President Obama's Executive Order on Preventing Trafficking in Persons and provisions in the Fiscal Year 2013 Defense Authorization Act, the FAR was previously amended to prohibit contractors, contractor employees, subcontractors, subcontractor employees, and their agents from charging employee recruitment fees. This proposed rule would add a definition of recruitment fees to subpart 22.17 and the associated clause at 52.222-50. Comments are due by July 11th. A second proposed rule would amend the FAR to revise the estimated administrative cost to award and administer a contract for the purpose of evaluating bids for multiple awards. The FAR provision at FAR 52.214-22 says that $500 is the administrative cost to the government for issuing and administering contracts. That number was calculated many years ago, and based on various inflation factors, this amount is being adjusted upward to $1,000 as a more realistic reflection of the actual cost to the government. This cost also will be reviewed periodically and updated as appropriate. Comments on this proposed rule also are due by July 11. The Environmental Protection Agency has published a direct final rule to remove outdated information and make administrative changes to the EPA acquisition regulation. These changes are effective July 12th unless EPA receives adverse comment by June 13th. EPA does not anticipate any adverse comments as these changes are all technical in nature, but if any are received, it will publish a timely withdrawal of the final rule in the Federal Register. The Department of Justice has issued a proposed rule that would amend the regulations for its Stop Violence Against Women Formula Grant Program and the general provisions governing its Office on Violence Against Women programs. The proposed rule would incorporate statutory changes, make minor technical corrections, implement enhanced administrative and planning practices for formula grantees, 
and streamline existing regulations to reduce redundant statutory language. Comments are due July 11th. The Postal Service has issued a final rule that requires any final decision regarding a contract claim or dispute to contain language that fully and accurately advises the contractor of the rights and process to appeal the contracting officer's final decision to the Postal Service's Board of Contract Appeals. That rule was effective May 11th. And the Department of Defense this week issued six final rules and two proposed rules to amend the DFARS. The six final rules were all effective on May 10th. The first establishes a not-to-exceed limit of 25 years for shared energy savings contract services. DOD was authorized to contract with utility service providers to implement energy conservation measures on military bases, but the statutory language did not establish a term limit for such contracts. Now there is one, 25 years. The second final rule authorizes DOD to provide its litigation support contractors access to sensitive information, provided that the contractors are required to protect that information from unauthorized disclosure and are prohibited from using the information for any purpose other than providing litigation support to DOD. The third final rule updates the threshold for duty-free entry on foreign supplies that are not qualifying country supplies or eligible foreign supplies. The rule increases the duty-free entry threshold from $200 to $300. Another final rule adds a definition of long-haul telecommunications to DFARS 239.74 and identifies DISA as the sole procurement activity for long-haul telecommunications requirements. A fifth final rule implements various requirements for multi-year contracts. First, the rule clarifies the DOD may not enter into a multi-year contract for a defense authorization program that has been specifically authorized to be carried out using multi-year authority unless the Secretary of Defense certifies that certain conditions have been met not later than 30 days before the award of the contract. Other provisions make additional changes related to multi-year contract terminations, cancellation provisions, a prohibition on advanced payments for incurred costs on funded units, and prohibitions on price adjustments based on a failure to award a follow-on contract. And the final, final rule makes some technical and editorial changes to the DFARS. And there was also two proposed rules. First, DOD is proposing to consolidate multiple hotline posters into one poster that describes multiple reportable offenses. The DFARS currently requires contractors to post three posters, a general fraud hotline poster, a combating trafficking in persons poster, and a whistleblower protection poster. DOD would like there now to be one poster. Comments are due by July 11. And last, but possibly most significant for DOD, a second proposed rule addresses rights and technical data related to major weapon systems. Short version, the proposed rule would expand a rule that presumes a commercial item has been developed entirely at public expense. This rule affects statutory requirements known as the Commercial Rule and the Major Systems Rule. Under the commercial rule, a contracting officer must presume that a commercial item has been developed entirely at private expense unless shown otherwise. Under the major systems rule, a contracting officer's challenge to restrictions on technical data shall be sustained unless the contractor submits information demonstrating that the item was developed exclusively at private expense. Both of those standing rules would be amended by this proposed rule as required by last year's National Defense Authorization Act. First, provisions in the Act narrowed the Major System Rule to apply only to Major Weapon Systems, so essentially that converts the Major Systems Rule into the Major Weapon Systems Rule.
The Act also expanded the commercial off-the-shelf exception to the major systems rule to include off-the-shelf items with commonly requested or minor modifications of a type customarily available in the commercial marketplace or other minor modifications. Also to commercial subsystems or components of a major weapon system if the major weapon system was acquired as a commercial item, and also to components of a subsystem if that subsystem was acquired as a commercial item. Comments on the proposed rule are due by July 11. And that's all we have for today. Thank you for tuning in. Join us again next Friday, May 20th, to catch up on all the latest developments from the Daily Acquisition News. Goodbye.